My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah, and it's the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast. What are we drinking? <laughs> a way over tequila and margarita. Good for you. I'm a little jealous, although like I don't need that right now. I am drinking not oak leaf, but quail oak. It's from Albertsons. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, today... I don't have much of an intro. I'm kind of, I'm going to dive in. I will tell you that I am talking about a serial killer today. It's been a while since we've gone that heavy schmevy. And just a fair warning. Y'all know how I, maybe you know how I do my storytelling or case telling. Um, I don't always start at the beginning. Today I'll be starting kind of in the middle, so hopefully it circles back and it makes sense, but Kristen, if you get confused at all, please just ask, and hopefully this makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to start off with talking about some of the murders, Um, without completely giving away who's doing it, I guess, I want to see if maybe you can guess by some of the characteristics or details of the crimes, Kristen, because, (laughs) you know, serial serial killers, we all know a lot of them, the well-known ones especially, uh, so I wanted to make it a little interesting, and after you hear a few of the details, you will probably know who I'm talking about. And also trigger warning um, to the brutality of the murders, because obviously, not super obviously, I guess, but a lot of these murders involve very brutal acts of violence. So, on December 16th, 1998, a heinous crime rocked the community of West University Place which is like the Houston Sugarland area of Texas. Mm. Dr. Claudia Benton was watching television on her couch when she just, you know, dozed off, as many of us do. Her husband and her twin daughters were away in Arizona visiting some of his family. And Claudia stayed behind because she was a bad bitch, if I must say. <laughs> she was, as I mentioned, a doctor. She was a pediatric neurologist. Oh, shit. And, yeah. She had a presentation slash lecture the next day. And I assume, you know, that was part of the reason why she stayed back, obviously. So, she was hard at work, like, preparing for this. And I would not blame her for falling asleep on her couch while watching television. But as she slept, as she dozed off, she was unaware of the intruder in her house. This intruder stabbed Claudia with a kitchen knife. He used a bronze... Sorry, he <laughs> gave that away. <laughs> he used a bronze statue to bludgeon her. And then he raped her. 
Claudia did die as a result of her injuries. When she didn't show up to her lecture the next day, uh, which was at the Baylor College of Medicine, which is located in the medical center of Houston, I guess, her coworkers were immediately concerned because this was not like her at all, like to miss any kind of appointment meeting, much less a lecture. So they actually called the police for a welfare check. And when police arrived to Claudia's home, they noticed all of the doors and windows were locked and there wasn't really a sign of forced entry, but the place was in disarray. They enter the home, however, and they find the body of 39-year-old Dr. Claudia Benton on the floor in her bedroom. Her body was actually covered with a blanket and her feet were sticking out and that's really what police saw at first. Mm. When they removed the blanket, there was a plastic grocery bag over Claudia's head. Now, it doesn't say that strangulation or suffocation was a part of her death um, unless I'm missing something. So that's kind of odd unless I'm literally missing something. So. It may just, yeah, because it's It could have just been placed there. I don't know. It's just odd to have the, it's one thing to have the blanket. The blanket is always such a easy thing to write off. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like you kind of feel that shame after doing such a brutal attack that you kind of want to cover it up. But it's one thing to have the bag. Like, I don't know if maybe they specifically wanted the face to be covered and that's why they maybe felt like extra security or yeah I would have to see an autopsy because that's why I would think like maybe it's just something he did last minute or maybe when he was killing her maybe he didn't want to see her face or when right and well that's what I was about to say is possibly when he was raping her he didn't want to see her face Uh, it's like there's a lot of reasons it's like it's so fucking weird the motives behind people especially with like after they kill like what they do with the body it's uh, i'm never gonna understand that it's weird you say that because in this case we'll see a lot of interesting things that happen after these murders are are committed serial killer shit (laughs) i'm like focusing on this one goddamn i mean you'll just see you'll yeah I'm like, this one's enough. Thank you. (laughs) I was ready for you to end. (laughs) (laughs) No. Sorry. Something that police, whoever, you know, I always say police in general, as in detectives, sheriffs, whatever. I hate that I have to say that, but sometimes I feel like I do. You never know with these people. Something, anyways, they found to be strange was that Claudia's wallet and ID were sitting on a bench, like, in the living room or in the front area of the home. I think it might have been, you know how people have sometimes benches in the entryway where you can store things. Her wallet and ID were on top of this bench thing, almost displayed. Like, the wallet was there. In the episode I watched of the Oxygen show I'll mention later, They made it seem like the wallet was open and the ID was sitting right on top of it, almost as if it was displayed 
specifically arranged to just be like hmm. I hmm. specifically didn't take this wallet or like this is this person that I just killed I was here type of thing <clears throat> Um, something I'll mention later is that this, this is common. So it was also obvious that Claudia's personal belongings had been gone through as one would, you know, kind of expect because oftentimes a homicide like this could be related to a burglary. Yeah. Christmas presents that were under the tree had been opened um, because, as I mentioned, this was, like, December 16th. It was, like, a week before Christmas, and she had two 11-year-old daughters, so. The killer had taken Christmas cookies and various items with him. There was a literal trail of tinsel and wrapping paper, apparently, throughout the home. That's gross. There was also half-eaten fruit on the kitchen counter. It was pretty clear that the killer had spent some time in the home doing what the fuck ever after he killed Claudia, which is very uncommon for someone to do after a murder. Like, they're usually like, oh shit, I need to fucking bounce or whatever. This person was... (laughs) opening presents like it was Christmas morning and having a snack. I hope that they get like someone to clean that up for the family before they come back. <sighs> Barely. Could you, Im- Ugh, could you imagine? Well, yeah, I I'll be get so in. pissed. I have to clean up this fruit of this person that murdered my wife and oh my I God. know. I know I mentioned I'm talking about a serial killer but at this point like police right now they don't know they're dealing with one. Um So, as they continue to go through Claudia's home, they make their way to the garage, and they notice that her vehicle was missing, and uh, I think it was, like, a Jeep Cherokee SUV thing, and, um, like, they knew that it was supposed to be there, like, it was her vehicle, whatever. They reported it missing and related to her homicide so it wasn't just missing it was like urgent Mm -hmm. this is a dead person's vehicle claudia's husband george who i mentioned was in arizona with her their daughters at the time of uh, claudia's murder was kind of suspected at first or seen you know as a possible person of interest because it was kind of convenient that he was out of town with their children when his wife got murdered and that's how it was seen a lot of times and it is still seen a lot of times you always if someone's murdered you looked at you or you look at the person closest to them which is oftentimes their spouse or significant other they're always looked at first or one of the first did, so, was there, like, known troubles in their marriage, or this was no. just, yeah. This was just an typical, automatic assumption, typical, like, we need to look at look him, he's out mm-hmm. of town, that must be convenient type of thing. Yeah. Um, but George was cleared very quickly. He actually caught the first flight home um, and seemed to, like, cooperate and help out as much as possible. 
he actually did a walkthrough in his home with police as soon as he got there. Um, and that's why I'm saying, like, I don't think they messed with anything much until he got there because during his walkthrough, they were looking for anything out of the ordinary, anything missing out of place, anything strange. And during this walkthrough is when George noticed something kind of weird about Claudia's jewelry. Mm-hmm. Most of her jewelry was gone. It had been taken, stolen, except for this one necklace, a pearl necklace. And George, I don't know why he knew this or how he knew this. I guess it doesn't matter. But he pointed out that apparently there is a Latin American superstition that if you steal pearls, it's bad luck. Hmm. So I guess George pointed this out. And it's just something to note that maybe, possibly, this killer could be Mexican or Latin American. Mm-hmm. When the neighborhood was canvassed, there was no witnesses that saw or heard anything. What's interesting, though, is that George and Claudia's home is located near railroad tracks. On May, I want to say 3rd, May 3rd, 1999, Pastor Norman Cernick and his wife Karen didn't show up for Sunday service at the United Church of Christ in Weimar, Texas. Weimar, sorry. Weimar, uh, Texas. Weimar. 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 It's A-R, but I know it's probably pronounced Mar. So, yeah. Wait, how is it spelled? W-E-I-M-A-R. Yeah, because I wanted a Weimarner. I'm like, how do Anyways. I know that? I don't know. Is it wrong? Probably. <laughs> I didn't know the dog came from Weimar, Texas. But... Well, I don't think the dog did. I just know that because uh, I don't know who I was dating at the time that lived far away. I would be driving and I would pass Weimar, Texas. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I want a Weimarner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the only reason I know. <laughs> Weimar, Texas. Norman and Karen, because he was the pastor, they lived in the home that belonged to the church and that was on the church property. It was located right behind the church building. So the president of the church congregation went to the Cernic home to check in on the couple. Because again, very out of character for the pastor to be a no-call, no-show at Sunday service. Yeah. Like with no... It's a pretty important day for pastors, you know. (laughs) (laughs) With no warning. The president of the congregation knocked on the front door of the Cernix home with no answer. But he did notice that it was unlocked. I don't know if he immediately entered the home or what, but ultimately he entered the home and noticed that there was blood on the door handle of the bedroom door in the home Mm. so he makes his way over to the bedroom and finds 46 year old pastor norman cernick and his wife 47 year old karen cernick deceased in their bed and they weren't like laying there peacefully dead in their bed like under the covers normal stance 
from what I could make out of the crime scene photo and the oxygen show I watched, they were both kind of laying backwards with their heads at the bottom of the bed, or maybe just like one of them was that way. I briefly saw the photo as they showed it, and I didn't like go back to reference it. I'm sorry, but either way, they weren't like, hmm. Karen was naked Mm. from what I saw, and Norman looked partially naked. They had both been bludgeoned with a sledgehammer, so blood was, like, prominent. Both of their IDs had been laid out next to each other on, I don't know, like a counter or a table, and there was partially eaten fruit in the kitchen. I... There was fingerprints lifted from the crime scene and probably other DNA as well. It wasn't super specified. The Cernix vehicle? Missing. Their home? About 70 yards away from the local railroad. So were police quick to at least connect this or? No. Because these crimes are happening in different towns. No. So in this particular town of Weimar, not a lot of homicides happen. It's a very small town. And when this homicide happened, I think uh, what they mentioned in the show was that this was the first one in about like 10 years. Oh, damn. So the investigators for this case put out word of this homicide to other agencies uh, just to see if there's any similar cases out there, similar crimes. And I am so fucking happy they did that. And I'm so happy that these kind of platforms or systems exist because they got word back, brothers and sisters, investigators from Dr. Claudia Benton's case, which was the one I had just mentioned, which was it happened 90 miles away from this one, (laughs) contacted investigators for the Cernix case and they were like, yo, we have a homo- an unsolved homicide that has way too many similarities to this case. Like, let's look at this because it's fucking related. Not a direct quote. <laughs> Around this same time is actually when Dr. Claudia's missing vehicle was located in San Antonio, Texas. <gasps> I shouldn't be happy, but... Prints were lifted from the steering wheel, and they matched those from her crime scene, as well as the prints lifted from the Cernix crime scene. He is very sloppy. Very sloppy. Like, Like, at the same time, though, it's like he's getting away. (laughs) Well, yeah. What year is this? Oh, this is this was nineteen ninety nine, I believe. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, even mm. like the DNA on the fruit, I'm like, God. Right. Just leaving it well, because I I typically mention fingerprints, and there is other DNA taken from these scenes from either the bodies of the victims mm. or possibly from the fruit and just whatever. 
um, because like I mentioned multiple times, these homes are in disarray. There's half-eaten fruit. Like there's plenty of opportunity for DNA to be left. He has to have his dominance shown in that house. And it's great that you mentioned that because the certain kind of characteristics that his crimes entail, the things he does, it's almost like he he does and the fact that it's all repeating so Mm -hmm. it's like he does these things on purpose he's like i was here i did this i did whatever the hell i wanted and i fucking Mm -hmm. dipped like so gross Ugh. if you couldn't tell that that was a man it's like very (laughs) man-like behavior (laughs) yeah (laughs) so they know that these fingerprints are a match from scene to scene. And when they're run through the system, the database, they actually get a match. Shut the front, front door. And this is where it, it can be kind of weird because it's weird in my research. But they are a match, apparently, to an angel or angel, Matrino Resendez. This identification blew the door wide open, and as soon as this happened, basically other unsolved homicide cases from various states in the U.S. started to appear like they were all connected. Details and characteristics of the crimes were also put into an FBI database that basically would connect the dots for you and generate leads or connections on other crimes and there was this hit on a crime that happened in Kentucky like a few years before all of this mm-hmm. so remember we're in like 1999 in August of 1997 Holly K. Dunn was walking home from a party with her boyfriend Chris Mayer They were walking along the railroad tracks near the University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky. While they were walking, they were suddenly interrupted by a strange man that appeared out of the darkness, demanding money. This random dude was apparently hiding behind like an electrical box and just kind of like popped out so he ambushed the couple and like i said was demanding money but then didn't even care about the money and immediately bound and gagged the couple holly's own belt was used to bound her hands then chris mayer or meyer i'm so sorry was then bludgeoned and killed with a 52 pound rock Holly was beaten with a wooden board, stabbed in the neck with an ice pick, and raped. The amazing thing is that she survived. The attacker must have thought that he killed Holly because I believe she did go unconscious for a while. He covered her body with branches and, you know, just, like, brush and stuff and left her for dead. But Holly came to shortly after he left and she staggered to a nearby home for help. 
Holly was so beaten, dude. Like, I I have goosebumps everywhere right now. Her hair, she was blonde. Her hair was fully red with blood as she ran to get help. Her eye socket and jaw were broken. She had lesions all over her face. From being beat to almost death and witnessing the brutal murder of her boyfriend. Yeah. I want to say that there's a I Survived episode where she talks about it from her, like, perspective. And it was one of the hardest episodes to listen to. It was 100%, I believe it. Um, I mean, I can't back up the facts on the episode, but I will mention later on she becomes a strong advocate for victims of this yeah. sort. So I um, definitely like I un- I knew where you were going, but this case, yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah. This is one that I was like, yeah, but I I really do want to say if I have it right, I'll keep it in. But I'm pretty sure that she uh, has an I survived episode from her point of view. That is yeah. fucking like astounding to hear about. What's even more amazing, not only surviving her brutal injuries, was that Holly was able to give a detailed description of her attacker. She described him as short, male, black hair, Spanish accent, and he wore glasses. There was also DNA taken from Holly and Chris's crime scene that ended up matching that of Angel Resendez because up until the point they had possibly connected it to the same attacker of Dr. Claudia, um, there, this DNA was basically untested. Mm. Holly would end up being the only known survivor of Angel's and actually dedicated her time and practically life to helping victims of sexual violence. Mm. She actually received the Jacqueline Kennedy Anassis Award in 2006, and she has continued to be an advocate and will speak publicly on her experience and tell her story. So that's why I say I'm totally not surprised she was sharing her story on any platform because she has been a strong advocate. Thank you for that, Holly. Hell yeah, Holly. Thank you. On October 2nd, 1998, 87-year-old Leafy Mason wasn't answering her phone like she normally would. So friends uh, friends or family, I'm not sure who called the police to do a welfare, welfare check, but somebody did. So police go and check on her at her home in Hughes Springs, Texas, which is north of Longview. I had to look it up because I'm from Texas and Texas is huge, y'all. Okay. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know where Longview is, it's outside of Dallas. So. Oh, okay. It's north of that. <laughs> <laughs> Police immediately noticed that the house was disheveled and, you know, just a mess. When they enter the home, they find Leafy deceased inside. Leafy actually collected antique irons, um, and I think they she had them organized in, in a certain way, maybe on shelves or whatever, but they were all thrown about. 
and one of which was used as a murder weapon to bludgeon Leafy to death. Leafy's purse had also been taken into the bathroom where her ID was laid or positioned perfectly on top, just displayed. There was also partially eaten fruit in her kitchen. There was a palm print lifted from the antique iron used to kill Leafy um, that later on connected Angel to this crime. Mm -hmm. A few months after this, in December, a similar crime was committed in Carl, Georgia, where 81-year-old Fanny Whitney Byers was bludgeoned to death in her home. And I'm so sorry, but I didn't get any more detail on how or where on her on her instance but it happened this murder of fanny did happen just a week before the death of dr claudia benton so we circle back to when dr benton gets murdered and basically they realize who he is they identify his fingerprints the discovery of not only angel's identity but the fact that unsolved cases were now being connected to him throughout multiple states in the u.s meant authorities uh, and everyone had an active serial killer on their hands bro like what the fuck (laughs) like and when you hit small towns it's if you (sighs) even people freak out dude yeah it's just to this day if you unfortunately are going to murder people it's this is one of the better ways to do it because you're hitting random towns they're random people that you have no connection to and you're not staying in one town long enough exactly like Like how to get away with murder when i went (laughs) but while police and investigators make this break the murders kept happening and one thing that was noticed throughout these cases that happened to be linked together recently was that all of these murders and homicides happened near railroad tracks and now i will be talking about our dude angel resendez who is he who is this guy do we even care to know angel maturino resendez was i think his real name Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure but he was also known as rafael resendez ramirez But this was only one of this killer's many aliases. Angel was born in Puebla, Mexico in 1959. He was raised by his mother until he went to live with his aunt and uncle around the age of six. And then he returned to live with his mom at the age of 12. Seemed like he bounced around a little bit. I don't know why. But as a young boy, Raphael was described by... Sorry, I put Raphael when his name is Angel. So if I call him <laughs> either or, it's the same guy, I promise. That's just uh, Angel. Uh, Angel was described by his family as a loner who never got into trouble. 
And at one point, obviously after his arrests and stuff, his mother apparently told the Chicago Tribune that Angel slash Raphael was trying to swim at a nearby river as a young teenager, like 13, 14, mm-hmm. and was sexually assaulted by a group of older boys. Oh, and just to give you some imagery, fully grown, he was only about 5'2". Pretty small. Mm-hmm. Kind of small dude. And it's said that most of the time in his crimes, he was able to overpower his victims. So... Never, never doubt. (laughs) And as prison records show, his education level is actually that of a seventh grader. So as we see in his patterns, like, we see some of the things he does is kind of silly, like leaving behind literal breadcrumbs of evidence. But then he's also able to escape and get away for, you know, a while. I read a very very interesting article and i wish that i could quote it or like have it be super scientific i hope that i'm getting it right but it was talking about serial killers in correlation to like their iq and how it affects their ability to be a serial killer and whatnot does it make them better or worse And the thing that was really interesting with this study was that serial killers with lower iqs we're getting away like with these ridiculous amount of crimes where as when you see a serial killer with a higher IQ they're more of like an Ed Kemper situation where they kind of understand the wrongness of what they're doing and it's almost like they the want risks, to flaunt yeah. and they want to be caught because they want to talk about oh, I was able to do this and whatever, like they want to be the center of attention or there's like more method there's like a better reason behind it but with lower iq it's more like they're not doing it for this ego boost it's more like i guess the primal instinct to just kill and that that reason is what allows them to get away with crime more than someone who is driven with the ego of i need to be seen as this like next biggest serial killer in the world because that ends up getting you caught I'm so glad you mentioned that, and I would love to read that study. By I'll the try way. to find um, it. If I do, I'll link it down below. But super, super interesting thing that I remember reading yeah. or s- <clears throat> seeing or whatever about. Well, because it totally relates to this case. Because Angel, he, well, we can see it uh, from both sides with Angels that um, he was careless and not maybe at the same time well because he's like uh, not he's not smart enough to understand like dna but right (laughs) well in some of his cases like he the breaking and entering he wouldn't make that so much as an obvious crime like in one of the cases where there were all the windows and doors were locked like there's no obvious sign i think it was dr claudia there's no obvious sign of force entry but then there's nothing held back on the, you know, murderous brutality crimes he like committed. Like, it's obvious that someone went in there and committed a crime. He left DNA. He he left trails, and that's why I say breadcrumbs of half-eaten fruit. The IDs laid out, like, DNA, fingerprints everywhere. But then he was able to escape 
almost vanish without a trace and get away. And that's what puts him on the other side of the spectrum is that he was, he was almost so careless where it was so easy for him to just fucking, ugh. Angel actually began illegally crossing the border from Mexico into the United States when he was just a teenager and he was arrested in I think maybe for the first time in 1976 and this got him deported or sent back to Mexico but he was back across the border within a three-year time span it very well could have been earlier but that was just like the next time he was arrested. Yeah. So he was arrested three years later in 1979, uh, this time in Miami, Florida, when he severely beat an 88-year-old man inside his home. Angel did receive a 20-year-old 20 year prison sentence. <laughs> a 20-year sentence. Why do I do that? <laughs> a 20-year prison sentence for this, but he was released in 1985 which was only seven years later he was deported back to mexico following his release it doesn't make me feel any better nope and it shouldn't because angel quickly and very quickly snuck back across the border into the u.s in 1986 and he murdered an unidentified homeless woman <sighs> I mean, like, why? It's obvious in the fucking arrest record that he was deported the first time and came back. So I don't understand what the deal is by thinking that if we let him go early, we just deport him and he'll be fine. Because obviously, <laughs> he's already, he like, he has no problem getting here. It's just. Oh, we'll get into that. So why, like, just keep him in prison where we at least, like, know where he Okay. I'll get into that. You know, it's like, we need to take these things into account when we're sentencing and paroling these people. Yeah, well, the system is fucked. Yeah. Anyway, he shot this homeless woman four times, and her, he dumped her body in an abandoned farmhouse near, ding, 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 Bear County, Texas. <sighs> Angel would later state that the reason why he killed this homeless woman was because she insulted him. That's not a good excuse, bro. In June of 1986, Rafael, or Angel, would be arrested in Laredo, Texas for trying to use a fake birth certificate to sneak into the U.S. and he was sentenced to 18 months in jail. I'm not sure if he spent the, the full 18 months in jail um, or if he got released early. But if you haven't established a small pattern by now, then maybe like now is the point where you do. In 1991, Angel spent 30 months in jail for fraudulently applying for Social Security cards, the possession of weapons and other charges relating to him illegally trying to enter the U.S. He was again deported after serving 30 months in jail. Um, and this was for the fraudulently applying for social security cards, possession of weapons, blah, blah, blah. And, like, he has already 
killed and beaten someone almost to death. Like, multiple times. What the fuck? So, after serving the 30 months, only a few months after being released, Angel's back in Texas. Yep. Texas! On July 19th, 1991, Angel had shot and murdered Michael White, whose body was found in the yard of a house in San Antonio. Angel would spend the following years back and forth across the border trying to find, quote-unquote, trying to find work. He would drift along railroads seeking jobs or seasonal work. Uh, either sending money back home or taking it with him whenever he left. He did have a common-law wife that lived back in Mexico. Mm. And I guess that's where he would live when he went back to Mexico. Uh, And this was in the rural area of Rodeo, Mexico. And they would eventually have a daughter together as well. Angel would illegally hop freight trains... He would travel to Florida when it was orange picking season or up to Kentucky when it was time to harvest tobacco crops. All the while, Angel was racking up multiple arrests for theft, weapons, possession, and Mm. trespassing amongst probably, like, others. Goddamn. Angel would not only use the railroads to travel and find work, but to also find new victims for his homicidal ways. Mm. Not only to find and fulfill his homicidal ways, but to escape them as well. In March 1997, Angel killed two teenage runaways from Woodstock, Illinois. Jesse Howell and Wendy Von Huben. Jesse Howell was bludgeoned to death. His body left beside the railroad tracks near Bellevue, Florida. Wendy Von Huben's remains wouldn't actually be found until Angel's arrest later on, when he later admitted to the killings and also raping Wendy, strangling her, and sodomizing her corpse. And I don't know if it's important to mention, with a lot of the cases and scenarios I've mentioned, uh, when there has been rape involved, it was never clarified in my research if it was pre- or post-mortem. So, I don't know. Yeah. But I I wondered that. I, I asked myself, like, you know. Yeah. But it was never clarified. Hmm. So in the time following, in the late 90s, uh, Angel or Raphael would travel throughout Georgia, Texas, Kentucky, Illinois, literally leaving a path of blood in his wake. He had no official home or address in the United States. He didn't own a vehicle registered in the United States. He had no record of employment in the United States. And so that's also what made it kind of hard to, like, exactly pinpoint this dude and find him. And so we're going to circle back to when 
we realize that we have a serial killer on our hands back to after we're connecting all of these cases together. By this point, the FBI announced that Rafael Resendez Ramirez or Angel Murturino's Resendez was on their (laughs) 10 most wanted list. This obviously initiated a nationwide manhunt that weaved throughout Texas, Illinois, Kentucky, at the least. I'm sure it went through Georgia, Florida, and any surrounding states. It had been discovered also that almost every time that Angel got arrested, he used a different alias and told or gave the police different information. And it said that he gave at least 15 to 18 different aliases. So this is why he could have been arrested one place and him not have any record or background of any sort because he gave a fake name, fake everything. Both names, Angel Maturino Resendez and and. Rafael Resendez Ramirez were used on the FBI Most Wanted posters just because he was known by both, like, very well. And a nationwide manhunt begun. Local police departments where crimes had already been committed and surrounding areas, university police officers, the FBI, Texas Rangers, they were all searching for Angel. Not to mention the media attention that this case was getting because when Angel's identity was kind of like made or verified, this is a serial killer we're looking for. Yeah. So it, it got sent to the media pretty quick. It. Like we're looking for the killer of these all these crimes that have been connected. And he doesn't really have a type of victim that he's going for. So I can imagine like anyone that is near a railroad is like i it's fucking me exactly so there has not been an official motive or specified population or a victim pinpointed because there is none this dude only the only like 100 percent pattern is that these people live near railroad tracks and um The media, you know, didn't help with the panic. It helped spread the panic, especially those who lived near railroad tracks. They freaked out. Um, in the Oxygen episode I watched, there was a lady talking about how, you know, she stayed at home with her children while her husband worked all day. But after the news of these murders and stuff, when he left for work, they would actually leave and go to, like, I don't know, a relative's house or somewhere else, and they wouldn't go back home until their husband got home from work. People would deadbolt and lock all their shit Mm. and just be extra paranoid. Anyone who lived near railroad tracks, especially in the areas where these crimes had been committed, were on edge. Mm. The widespread panic began, you know, as I mentioned especially for those who live near train tracks. And 
this widespread panic will have to spread to you guys <laughs> because surprise surprise this will be a two-parter and you won't find out what happens next until part two i need to know he gets um, caught <laughs> yeah so in part two i will be talking about the downfall of angel resendez and um his capture his trial and sentencing as well as finishing off with victim um in memoriam statements type of thing so uh, yeah it was either make it like a pretty long episode or split it up so i thought i'd split it up into two like short-ish episodes yeah it was a late night for us tonight but thank you that was a great start and i'm i need to hear how this guy i i kind of don't want to stop but okay (laughs) so we'll get this out really quick because i need to hear the ending of this but i guess until next time guys be sure to follow us we will post the first half of the photos hopefully by the time this is out on all the latest and greatest at r-a-r-w podcast and if you want to say hi if you want to hear a certain topic if you want to be a number one fan you can always send us an email Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you for part two. I just really, that half eaten fruit really freaks me out.